Well, I, I get the pleasure uh, to announce uh, a great friend. Uh, a, he was my pastor in Houston. And uh, really, a lot of the things that, that the Lord is doing here, uh, when I came here, I was like, Lord, what do you want to do? And he's like, look, I've already I've shown you what I want you to do. And, uh, and it's what Pastor Jeff and Gail uh, we're doing in Houston, and we got to be a part of uh, even the the unity of the churches in the region is so on his heart, and he's an I would say an apostolic leader of that region, uh, just over many pastors, uh, and just gets to pour into their hearts, and so we have the honor and the privilege to have him pour into our hearts this morning, and his wife, uh, Gail, if, if you guys can both stand up together. Gail, can you stand up as well? And we just want to honor you guys and say thank you for being here. Pastor Jeff is an overseer of our church and uh, a mentor for me, a uh, great man of, of God. And uh, so actually, uh, Pastor Jeff, you want to come up? And I just want, I want to show you something. We have a picture of, of him. If we can put this up. This is Pastor Jeff back in 1978. Wow. Uh, he actually, um, he is one of the most amazing runners you'll ever meet. He's one of, one of the top in the country. Uh, took second in the Boston Marathon. And, uh, and when I was in, I went to China with him. And we decided we were on a, what mountain was that? Uh, some high one. <laughs> <laughs> we were going up about, we were, we were at probably, I don't know, 10,000 feet or something. To go, uh, we were going up, and we jumped out of the car, the two of us, and thought, well, we're going to run up, the, up this highway, the, going up the mountain. And I thought, oh, I can keep up with this guy, no problem. <laughs> oh, God. It was about five minutes, and I, he was out of sight. I could not even see him anymore. And it was the first time I thought, I'm in China, and I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I could not, my heart felt like it was literally going to pop right out of my chest. And he was long gone, and he was in a, just a normal jog. So I realized that I have no chance with this man. But I uh, love him very much, and yeah. he's going to bring the Thank word you. this morning. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Mike didn't know it, but I was dying too up there. So his more than he knew. So it's really good to be with you this morning. Gail and I sense your love for Jesus. It's obvious in your worship. It sense the presence of God. And Gail and I have had unbounded affection and admiration for Mike and Christie uh, when they were part of the Woods Edge family. And through Mike, uh, yeah, got, I've got one in there. Thank you. Through Mike, I've got a chance to, to know JR. And JR, I honor you for your faithful ministry here for decades. And uh, when, uh, yep, honor you. When, um, when Mike and Christy were part of our church family and I got to know Mike, I re- recognized his, his giftedness and God's hand upon him. So I tried to recruit him to join our staff. And after praying some about it, uh, he said, you know, I just don't believe this is God's leading. And you know, Mike, I don't know if I ever said this to you, but I sensed that too after you said that to me. I sensed too, this isn't God's leading. And uh, later, JR, when you called him to come join the team here, then, then I did sense, you know, that, that is God's leading. So uh, I pray for Mike by name daily. So in some ways, y'all are part of that, and y'all are on my heart. And Gail and I love the opportunity to be here with you. We, one of our favorite things to do is hike in Colorado in the summer. It's slightly better hiking than Houston in the summer. And um, 
We, uh, for various reasons, have not been able to be up here the last several summers, so man, this is just an extra bonus for us to do a little hiking while we're up here. We've been, been doing that some. So, um, Gail and I met and married in uh, Oregon, and um, there's a, a little story about uh, that happened in Oregon that's a sort of a prelude to the, the passage we're going to look at. There's a middle school in Oregon, and the principal had a problem, and, and this was the problem. The middle school girls, there's a group of them, they would uh, put their lipstick on in the restroom, and, and after they put their lipstick on, they would leave their kiss prints on the mirror. And it was really hard to get off uh, the lipstick they were using, and the, the principal kept asking them, would you please stop doing that? It's really hard to get off. And, and you know, she could never get them to stop. You know, they were in there doing that. And so uh, finally, she, she said, okay, I'll fix this. And she, she called the girls into the restroom and had the custodian come in to join them. And they were in the restroom, and she began to explain to them again just how difficult it was to get the kiss prints off the mirror. And she turned to the custodian and said, would you please demonstrate? And he's got this long-handled brush, and he walked over and plunged the brush into the toilet, and he went over and began to brush off the, the, the mirror. And that did it. <laughs> Never a problem again with kiss prints on the mirror. And you just think, uh, that's wisdom. This woman had wisdom. And you know, the passage we're going to look at today is a passage that I particularly need, feel the need for wisdom about it. It's so rich and exalted. Here's the background of the passage. It's Thursday night, Passover week in Jerusalem. And this is the week of Passover and all the people are in the, in the, the city and on Thursday night, Passover night, Jesus gathers his 12 disciples into an upper room in Jerusalem. And there he begins to wash their dirty, stinky feet. And after washing their feet, he begins to teach them. And, and some of the most exalted teachings in the Gospels come in this passage, John 13 through 17. And there he would say things like, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I love John 14:1 when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And uh, other passages, 14, 6, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Some of the best teaching in the, that Jesus ever gave came in that passage. And then he began celebrating Passover meal with them. And the Passover meal, every year the Jews remembered when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And they began celebrating that. But he twists, puts a twist on it at the end and transform, transforms Passover celebration into the Lord's Supper or communion. And ever since that night, we followers of Christ, we don't celebrate Passover, rescue out of slavery in Egypt. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, rescue out of slavery to sin. And so he delivers that for the first time. And then after praying, he, he takes the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane up on the Mount of Olives. So they'll be up on a high plateau in Jerusalem. Uh, J.R. and Mike and I actually had the opportunity to be there together. And they would walk down the valley, the Kidron Valley, and then begin to make their way up the, the slope of the Mount of Olives. And after a couple of hundred yards, they would come to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And that olive grove is still there today. You can visit it. And it, it's still, when I take tours there, it's one of the most meaningful things 
that we do, and it's because of this passage. It's, it's so meaningful and rich. So Jesus takes his disciples to that place, and he's going to have kind of a final event before he's arrested, and the events of Passover week happen with the crucifixion the next day. So if you would stand with me, Mike gave me permission to ask you to stand with you. I'm going to read the passage, and you know, the, the beautiful passages Mike read this morning from Psalm 119 and Job, you know, the honor of God's word. And so we stand here and honor it. I'll read four verses. I'm reading from Matthew 26. I'll begin in verse 36 and read through 39. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. So Jesus, after going down the Kidron Valley and up the slopes of the Mount of Olives and, and, and with his 11 disciples now, Judas is gone, uh, he has them there. And then he takes three more of them, the three closest disciples, the three closest people to, to Jesus and during his lifetime. He takes Peter, James, and John. And, and with some of the disciples here, I, I imagine him going over a couple of hundred yards. Just from being in the garden there, you could it'd have those kind of dimensions. And, and he takes them farther on, and then he's going to leave them, those three there, and he will go still a little bit farther along. And what's amazing to me is that here is Jesus. He's fully God. He's God in the flesh. He's the God who created the galaxies that we sang about in that first worship song. And yet he's fully man, and, and he, he wants his disciples to be close to him at this moment of testing and trial. He needed, apparently, to pray to the Father. That's what he's going to do for some time here. But yet, in his humanness, he wanted people, his closest friends, to be near him. And isn't it something how Jesus needed people? And you and I are the same way. We need people. If we're going to live life to its riches, we need people. And, uh, you know, it's why I encourage the folks in our church, find a home group, find a small group. I know you have life groups here, and that's true for you too. We need people, find a group. But Jesus, the Bible says, he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and in verse 37, it says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, it's interesting that that's the time where he really began to hit, be sorrowful and troubled, as if it hit him for the first time. He has been focused on washing their feet, teaching them. I mean, final instructions before he's crucified. He's been focused on uh, the Passover meal, but now that he's to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's about to get along with the Father, that's when it hit him. Everything that's going to happen tomorrow, and it says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
So Jesus at this point began to be troubled, distressed, anguished, burdened to a great degree. The word sorrowful has a nuance of surprise about it. So, so it kind of took him off guard that it hit him so hard now that, that oh, what, all, what, what he's going to go through the next day. The second word, trouble, sorrowful and trouble, the second word trouble is even stronger. It has the meaning to be overcome with horror. So strong language here. Jesus at this moment is overcome with horror. If some of you a long time ago watched the Mel Gibson movie uh, about the, the crucifixion and, and that scene in Gethsemane, you, you feel some of the pain that Jesus had then, to be overcome with horror. I mean, Jesus is hurting big time at this point. Now, there's a parallel passage in Mark's gospel, and this is how Mark describes it. He says, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed and troubled. The parallel in Luke's gospel, the same event, says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So are we all clear how deeply our Lord was hurting at this point. I mean, the text could hardly be more emphatic. And it is at this point that Jesus is gonna go off by himself, leaving the three, and, and pray to the Father. Now, hurting this badly, Jesus could do one of two things. He could just um, kind of motion to his disciples and he could go on and, and be by himself, or before he goes farther, he could just tell them what is hitting him right now, what he's going through. And it is a measure of the authenticity of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, and the honesty of Jesus that before going over, he stops and pauses and speaks to them about his pain. This is what he says next. He says, um, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Now, 38, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, think about what Jesus is saying here, that I feel like dying, I'm hurting so badly. I'm, my soul is not just sorrowful, it's very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Now, some years back, when, when this passage hit me and I realized what Jesus was saying here, I, I just said, whoa, I don't think I have ever heard of anything so authentic as this right here, so vulnerable as this. I think this is the most vulnerable thing I've ever read or heard about. Because, I mean, think about it. Here is Jesus, the eternal son of God who's come to this planet. He's the perfect God-man. And he is saying to other human beings, his friends, I am hurting so badly, I, I feel like dying. And I think to myself, whoa, that is vulnerability. And this is the conviction that, that God spoke to me in that time. He said, Jeff, never again in your church can you allow a pretense and posing. I mean, if, if when God comes to this planet, he is that vulnerable, uh, how in the world can you pretend that you don't have problems when, when, got, when we all got problems? How in the world, Jeff, can you pretend that can can y'all go through pretending that you're more spiritual than you really are if Jesus is going to be this honest? How in the world can you pose and pretend with one another when Jesus Christ is that vulnerable? 
And I know that we're not free of it at our church, and I'm certainly not free of it, but man, the the bar of authenticity in my mind just went way up. And I thought, man, this is the way we've got to live. I mean, uh, you know, it'd be one thing for me to say to Mike and Christy, JR, some people that I know here, it'd be one thing for me to say, guys, I'm really hurting lately. I'm really hurting. I need your prayers. That'd be one thing. But I'm a flawed, fallible, sinful man. I mean, no big deal. But when the perfect son of God says something like that, whoa, that's another thing. So I just want to point out, it's not the main part of the passage, but the authenticity here is the greatest I've ever seen. Uh, Some months ago, someone told Gail about a TED Talk by Brene Brown. She's a professor at the University of Houston. And her TED Talk is the second most viewed ever. It's 36 million hits on its own vulnerability. She's done a lot of research on vulnerability. And I listened to a part of it, and uh, she said this, and I wrote it down. She said, uh, see if I can find it. She said, to be vulnerable is the most courageous thing we do. Um, Jesus set the bar when it came, when it came to vulnerability and courage. You know, um, when you think about uh, a church is a place where there's not, should not be posing and pretense, uh, but it's a place for real people and broken people. And I know that's the spirit of Mike and Christy here, just like it is at our church. Uh, uh, nobody here has their act together, do you? you? You know, you're a mess. You are. You're a mess. I'm a mess. Uh, and, and this church is not a place for perfect people, but for real people. It's a safe place. And if you're here visiting, I I know Mike and Christy's heart. I know it's a safe place for real people. And that's the kind of spirit that Jesus Christ exemplified. And by the way, when I read this passage and um, uh, this past spring and uh, again and studied again, I thought about the time of my life when I had this kind of desperateness. Have you ever had the kind of pain that Jesus is talking about here where where you're not sure you're going to make it? Uh, I have. I appreciate the honesty right down here in the front row. I have. Can I, can I just briefly tell you about it? I have struggled with a mental disease, obsessive compulsive disorder, much of my adult life. And uh, six years ago, seven years ago, May of 2011, for a combination of reasons, Gail and I were off kind of on a vacation. Uh, it just sort of overwhelmed me. And, and I remember she telling me, you know, you need help. And you get, she told me who to call, and uh, um, I, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Now, most of you have, don't struggle with mental disease. Thank God for that. But, but those of you who have, you know what I'm talking about, a pain far greater than any physical pain I ever experienced with marathoning. And uh, I, I wasn't sure if my brain was going to kind of spin off its reels or in, in a moment of, of irrational moment, I'd commit suicide. I didn't want to commit suicide, but I didn't know if I would survive. And I remember the next Sunday when I went back to Wood's Edge to preach to our church, and I, I had to make a basic decision. Am I going to stand up here and, and just pretend that I'm fine and, and everything's okay with me, or am I going to tell them what I'm going through? And I felt authenticity demanded that I, I tell them. And also, I needed the prayers of about 3,000 people. And so I told them, Guys, I, I'm not sure I'm going to survive. My mental disease problems uh, have gotten so bad. I need your prayers. And, and I believe that it was God used several things to bring some healing in my life during the time since then. But the main underlying reason were the prayers of God's people. And Jesus showed me to, to be authentic. And if you have that sort of desperateness, even now, 
uh, God wants to meet you and bring the healing to your heart that Mike just prayed about. Okay, the authenticity of Jesus. That's not the main point. We're going to get there. Okay, but it's startling, isn't it? Just how authentic he is. But here's the main point. Why was Jesus hurting so badly that Thursday night in Gethsemane? Why was he hurting so badly? Well, it is true that the next morning he would be executed on a brutal Roman uh, cross. It was the most painful form of execution ever invented. And uh, I mean, you've probably read about it. The, 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 the nails, the spear, the, uh, su- the suffocation, the, the great agony, the flogging before and his back lacerate, all of that. You've probably read about it. But the New Testament, it's interesting, does not make, not give one word pointing to the pain, the physical pain of the resurrection, of, of, the, of the cross. And think about how others went through death and execution, and they did it with seeming peace and calm. I mean, uh, by all reports, when Socrates uh, had to drink the poison uh, in 300 B.C., he did it and he was fine, he and his followers. Or just think about later in the Gospels, or later in the New Testament, in Acts 8, when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death, a brutal death. Man, he had peace and joy, and his face was radiant with the glory of God. Or in the early 100s, John, the apostle John's disciple Polycarp was burned at the stake. I mean, he had peace and calm about it. And we could tell time after time, even up to the present day, where martyrs for Christ went through brutal death and had peace and even joy at the moment. So why was Jesus just broken beyond all words with pain and trouble the night before his death? Well, it was not the physical pain of the crucifixion. It was the spiritual pain of bearing your sin in mind. It was the spiritual pain of God taking your sins and placing upon Jesus Christ the next morning so that he would pay for your sins and be separated from the Father. Now, think with me about this just a tad, because this is the pain of Gethsemane and the pain of the next morning. Now, think about a time, if you would, like I could think of a time when I had done something really bad. I mean, just I really messed up. How guilty you felt about that. I mean, you just felt terrible. I hope you did. You just felt terrible about it. What if um, you put all of your sins for your whole life at the same time? How would you feel? And God takes all our sins together and places it upon Jesus. And Jesus is not like us. I mean, a sinful person. He is sinless. He's never experienced any sin. I mean, if God would place all of my sins alone on Jesus the next morning, that would be plenty. But he took all of our sins down through history and places them on Jesus Christ in a very real way, and Jesus Christ is going to bear them because of his love for you. And that is the main point of the passage, that we're coming to the fact that Jesus experienced that pain because of his incredible love for you and for me. And that's the real pain. And not only did he bear your sin, but that caused him to be separated from the Father, so that uh, Matthew's gospel later in Matthew 27, 46, we read those words of Jesus. And I think that's the very time that the sin was placed on him. Jesus cries out in pain. He says, my God, only time he doesn't call him father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because his close love relationship with the father was severed like a knife. 
Now think about it. We in human relationships, if there's somebody we're very close to and we're separated from them at any time at all, we miss them. We miss them. In fact, uh, you know, I've gotten, a, you know, Gail and I have had our share of struggles and challenges over the years, but we've been married 38 years and by God's grace, uh, we've been happily married, what, Gail, 25 or 26 years, I'd say. Yeah, been happily married a long time. Um, I find that whenever I travel apart from Gail, I begin missing her about the time I get on the airplane, about the time the plane takes off. And after about two or three days, I'm ready to get back. Like some of you other husbands here, you, you kind of look wherever my wife is, that's my home. That's my home. And so if I miss Gail, and we've been uh, married for 38 years, you know, okay, think about it. the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in perfect, unblemished relationship, closeness, unimaginable for all eternity, and it is suffered for your sake and mine. Whoa. It was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was an early American pastor. In fact, he, uh, he started Princeton University where J.R. went to seminary later. And, and he was a brilliant theologian. He said, there's two basic reasons that really show and highlight the love of God for us. First of all, it is the pain that he went through for, for you and me. And he's talking about the spiritual pain. And secondly, it's because he did it for people as sinful as you and me. Both of those underscore the, the, the gravity, the, 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 the immensity of his love for you, his love for you. So this church, this is the real pain. This is why he was overwhelmed with pain, because the next day he would take your sin and he would pay for it. Amazing. Now, at this point in verse 39, uh, we read this in the text. We read, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Now, again... You see the pain. Uh, he walks over here, and he doesn't sort of gently kneel down. He falls on his face because he is just overwhelmed. Luke's gospel, as we read, he's, he's, the capillaries were bursting in his forehead, and there drops of blood, and that can happen medically. And, and he just he falls on his face, and he prays, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, the Old Testament, the imagery of a cup was used of God's holy wrath against sin, God's punishment against sin. So he's, he's talking about the wrath of God, of a holy God against sin. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, that is an incredible prayer. I mean, think about it. From eternity past, the whole plan of the Godhead has been for the Son to become man, take on flesh, come to this earth, die on the cross. I mean, it's the most incredible thing ever. It's the most beautiful thing ever. That was the plan of God to save the world. That's been the plan from eternity past. Jesus gets here. He lives his life. He gets to the night before, and he basically prays, God, is there some other way to do this? Can I take a pass on that cross thing? I mean, I'm amazed. And you think of the honesty of Jesus in his praying. And God loves our honesty in praying. Do not hold back in your honesty with God. He knows what's in your heart. Be honest. It will help you um, immensely to be honest. He says, Father, do it some other way. But then he goes on and includes that last line. And I, I'm so glad he did. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. You know, honest prayer, but surrendered prayer, isn't it? I mean, I'm, Lord, that's what I want. 
in his humanness. But Lord, this is what I want even more. I want to fully surrender to you. And how did God answer that prayer? How did the father answer that prayer? He said no. He said no. And the next morning, thank God he said no. The next morning, he's nailed to a cross, brutally crucified, and your sin is placed upon him. And if it wasn't for that, we would be in our sin for all eternity. Now, this is just one of the most remarkable passages in the gospel. And and here is the point. I love the authenticity here. But here's the point. The love of Jesus, that he would bear your sin in mine and be separated from his father. And and we can never get over that. And, And love is behind it. And this is a love. And if I could just express my heart here. Uh, All of us need love, but there is no love in the universe like this love. There is no love of a spouse. There is no romantic love. There is no love of a parent. There is no love of a child like this love. This is a whole other level, a whole other dimension, and this is the love of your God for you. And how in the world could we spurn that love? You were made for this love. You long for this love. And if you are here this morning and you have never received that love, do it now. Do it now. If you've never opened your heart to the love and the grace of Jesus, I would urge you just to breathe a prayer right now where you are and just say, Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. He'll do it. He'll do it. It's a prayer of your heart. He knows your heart. Now, most of us have done that. Or you wouldn't be at a church like this that's going so hard after God. Most of us have done that. But let me say, in a church this size, then no question that some of you, your, your love for Christ, your responsive love has grown cold. That, that just happens to us at believers at times. And if your heart has grown cold this morning, it's time to come home. Because your true home is where your God is. And it is time for you to come home. And he knows all that's in your heart. And this is the love that you're looking for. And this love will never let you down. And I would urge you, Lord, I'm coming home today. I'm coming home. I'm going to pray in just a few moments. And if this is your heart, in a fresh way, I encourage you to fully surrender your heart to love him back. Now, this is my conviction, church. If I had a thousand lives to live, that would be too few to give for Jesus Christ. That'd be too few. But I don't have a thousand lives. I got one. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste a moment of it. I don't want to live a day that's not fully surrendered to loving Jesus back. And I would urge the same for you. Whatever it means, whatever it involves, that you are going to fully surrender to the love that sent Jesus to a cross. Would you pray with me now? Lord God, I just join my dear brothers and sisters and just say thank you for a Savior. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you that, that you answered Jesus' prayer, no. And that that day, he just took on my, my sin, all of my sin, every bit of my sin, and he and it's paid for. Thank you, Lord God, that I am blameless and free of all sin because of the cross. And that every believer is here. And Lord, I, I pray if there's any uh, person who's never received that love for the first time, that right now they'd be breathing a prayer, Jesus, come and save me. And oh God, may every believer here fully uh, renew Lord God, full surrender to this kind of love. Lord, this is our heart. This is our heart. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.